0: looking forward to preaching this thought today, uh, this message coming out of the book of Ruth. We're going to be back in Ruth chapter 2 this morning. No need to stand as we've already stood for the reading of the Word of God this morning, but we're going to be in Luke, or in, sorry, in Ruth chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 4, but this time we're going to read down to verse 16. So long reading in the front end, and just to let you know from the onset this morning, I'm going to watch my time today. There's quite a bit of material to cover this morning, and I don't want to, I don't want to rush this uh, message. So uh, should we uh, go ahead and need to extend it to next Sunday, we will do that. And uh, if the Lord comes back in between uh, now and next Sunday, well, then you're not going to need that sermon. Amen. We're going to be with him. Praise the Lord. Ruth chapter 2 is where we are. And in verse 4, uh, the Bible says, And behold, uh, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you, and they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto a servant that was over the reapers, whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now, as she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels, and drink of that which the young men have drawn. And when she fell on her face, and bowed herself to the ground, And said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father, thy mother, and the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompensed thy work. And a full reward be given thee of the Lord, a God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for, thou, for that thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaids. And Boaz said unto her at mealtime, Come thou hither, and eat of thy bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar, and she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn and did eat, and was suffered and left. Father in heaven, we pray a special blessing upon the reading of thy word this morning. We ask of you, Lord, to please dwell amongst us today. Lord, we pray that you touch our hearts, open up our minds, to give us clarity of thought, understanding. And Lord, that which is preached today, Lord, to focus on this one thought, of simple purpose. I ask of you, Lord, that if you will, give us guidance, grace, and mercy. I do love you and I thank you, Lord, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen and amen. So here we find this little Moabitus woman born and raised in a land of paganism, a land of pantheism, even panentheism, if you will, and she marries the son of Naomi who had fled to Moab during a famine in her own land. And when he passes away along with his brothers, Naomi begins her little trip back home after the famine has expired and out of the land of which she was a foreigner, she's now going back to her home where she had been absent for quite a long time. And two of the widows of the other two sons, uh, they depart back to their own life in Moab. They go back to their family. They go back to, uh, to whence they came. They go back to where they are. They, they depart uh, and leave Naomi with Naomi's blessings. Now, here's what we find that her heart, Ruth is cut from a different mold. She's cut from a different character, if you will. Ruth is someone her, has her heart and her mind stayed on her mother-in-law, on Naomi. I mean, she's watched her testimony over these years, and it spoke to Ruth's heart. It made a difference, and I understand that, that Naomi's in a, in, a, in a very bad situation. She even says, call me no longer Naomi, call me Mara, for she was in a bitter state. But nonetheless, all that she endured, all that she experienced, all that she must have treated and loved, her, her daughters-in-law and her sons and those that are around her, it had to speak to Ruth's heart. It had to have an effect on who and what Ruth became and the decision that she has now made to go with her her mother-in-law. As a matter of fact, it leads Ruth into saying this right here in chapter one, verse sixteen: "Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go; and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God." I mean, here's a little Ruth. All well, you know, she's known is Naomi in her family. She's known, she has grown up in the land of Moab. We don't know uh, how her husband was. We don't know if he held to the truth uh, of the teachings of the Word of God or if he completely forsook all of that and became a pagan himself in Moab. Moab is, a, is typologically speaking, Moab is a picture of the flesh. Okay? You see three uh, cities that are depicted as Israel makes their, their transition throughout the wilderness in those 40 years. Number one, you see Egypt, which is a, a picture of the world. And so God was drawing them out of the world, coming out and being a separate people. That saith the Lord. So we see that, and then uh, lo and behold, we have the events that happened with uh, King Balak and ba- or Barak and, and uh, Balaam, this wicked prophet. And so Moab is a picture of the flesh, with because of the the lust that occurred there, and the twenty some odd thousand that were killed as a result of that. And finally, later on, years and hundreds of years after Israel was established, and they continue to turn their back against God, you have Babylon in six hundred six B.C. that that took Judah into captivity. After Assyria had taken Israel, they took Judah into captivity, which becomes a picture of Satan, my friend, a picture of Satan. God's called us out of the world, amen, but if you continue to to give ear and heart to the flesh, eventually you're giving yourself over to Satan, and we see that in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 5, but having said all of that, here's little Ruth, a lady raised in a pagan nation, an enemy, if you will, of the nation of Israel, And yet she's proclaiming to Naomi, thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. She left all she knew for a land unknown. I mean, Naomi must, in my opinion, Naomi must have had a great testimony to this young girl. I mean, for her to leave everything behind and follow her. I mean, wouldn't you like to have a testimony like that? Wouldn't you like to have a testimony amongst those uh, that you deal with every single day? Um, I mean, how many people have watched your life and made changes, lifelong decisions, simply because of the blessed testimony you have portrayed? I love the book of Ruth. I always have. But I love her as a character and individual. I love the typology of which we're going to address here in just a moment, but Uh, Beloved, don't get caught up too much in the typology and lose who the character of this young lady is. I mean, you know, her testimony, guys, her humility, her patience, her integrity... I mean, within her life, we find a beautiful picture of what we are to be. And the reason we see that is because uh, of, the, of the perfect wisdom of our, of our God, who has orchestrated his book to show forth the praises and wonders of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to give a picture today in the life of Ruth as a beautiful picture of the Gentile bride, the church uh, today, the bride of Christ. We see that quite easily here in the Scriptures. Guys, this is one of the reasons why dispensations is so important. Churches who do not teach or hold to dispensational teaching or anti-doctrinal churches. They are lost. They are confused. They, uh, I'm going to say it, and this may sound quite hard. I don't mean to be harsh, but they are biblically illiterate, and thus they are missing what God has for them. See, we find here that when Ruth was parched, guys, when Ruth was parched in her life, we see that she's allowed to drink. She's allowed to drink here. Uh, from the vessels of water, look in verse nine with me, just the latter part of verse nine, and the Bible says there it says, "When thou art athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn." What a beautiful picture that is, beloved, because we see that same picture as Jesus Christ meets that woman of Sychar who had a checkered past. And and when she came to that well, Jesus Christ stood there. And this is what he said. He says, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never uh, never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. Amen. What a beautiful picture we find here. So when Ruth was part, she was given way to drink of the vessels that were drawn. We find that there was a prepared table for Ruth to partake in. Look at verse 14 with me. And Boaz said unto her at mealtime, Come thou hither and eat of the bread, and, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat and was suffered and left. Amen. What a beautiful picture that is. Jesus Christ said unto John the Beloved, he said, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Guys, that's the bride of Christ. That is the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is every saved born again individual with the blood of Christ during the church age are the ones who are called and will sit at that marriage supper of the Lamb, which happens back here on earth at the end of the seven day tribulation period. Just to kick off that 1,000 year millennial reign of Christ, guys. Again, what a blessing to be able to sit at that table. What a blessing to be part of the bride of Christ, to to receive eternal salvation never, ever, ever, to be able to lose it. What a special and wonderful place that is. We also find that promotion had fallen. Promotion had fallen upon this precious little girl. Look in verse 12, the Bible says, and the Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given of thee, of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Promotion, uh, was given. Promotion was given. I'm going to say this. It's not part of the outline, but there's one more thing that we can see before we go into the next little sub-point there, introductory point. Uh, I'll say this, that protection was given as well. Uh, protection was given. Uh, you see this up in, uh, in the early part. Of uh, Verse 9, let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have, not, have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? God provided protection. God provided promotion. He prepared a table. Uh, guys, when she was parched, she was able to drink. and uh, It was Peter who said, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, humble thyself therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you. In due time, can I say this to you this morning, guys, to make it clear? If you're not willing to get under, you're never going to get over. Amen. If you're not willing to get under, you're never going to get in. There's an area of humility and submission, there's an area of just this integrity that we find with Ruth today. That if you're not willing to to do, if you're not willing to have a heart that is humble, you're never going to be exalted in due time, according to the Holy Scripture of God. I find, it, I find it quite interesting that Ruth ponders. Look in verse 10 with me. She ponders the grace that was she found in the eyes of Boaz. Look in verse 10. Then she fell on her face. There's another sign of humility. And bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? You see, guys, Ruth was pondering why she was given that grace. She was a stranger, she said. I mean, Ruth did not feel as if she deserved the grace that Boaz was given unto her. You see, she did not have this attitude that we find so prevalent in our world today, this attitude, if you will, of entitlement. Uh, beloved, she entitled entitled people feel as if grace is something that is their right. And may I say this to you this morning to make it very clear. Grace is not your right, otherwise it would not be grace. You do not deserve grace. God's riches at Christ's expense, the merit, uh, God's merit that we do not deserve, nor have we earned. Beloved, here is a position that few fall in today, and, and I wonder if we this morning, do we ever just ponder why on the earth, why in the world, the Lord Jesus Christ shared his grace to you and I? I mean, who are we? to sit back. Who are we to receive his grace? Why do we receive his grace? Peter says there again by inspiration in 1 Peter 2.10, which in times past were not a people, speaking of us, but are now the people of God, which have had not obtained mercy, but have now, but now have obtained mercy. Guys, grace is simply receiving the receiving of a pardon that you do not deserve rather than the judgment that you do deserve. This was Ruth's mindset. And I suggest to you this morning, beloved, that it should be ours as well. As a matter of fact, uh, if it's not, if if you don't have the mindset that Ruth has here, pondering why in the world would I receive uh, grace, pondering why in the world am I now a people by the grace of God, pondering why should I uh, receive the mercy that I do not deserve. If you aren't in that position this morning, then you very well may not have received such grace. Have you ever wondered what in the world is so special about us? Why would God, the creator of all things, provide the water, prepare a table, promote and pardon a people who are not a people? What, in, what is there about us which is so great? And the answer to that simply is this. It's, there's nothing great about us, simply nothing. Yet there is a reason, guys. There is a reason of God's grace. May I say this to you? There is no accident and there is no mistake of His grace. I want you to see God's providence, if you will. Look in verse 16 for me. We're going to finally conclude this little bit of introduction and get into the meat of the message this morning. I want you to see God's providence. Look in verse 16. The Bible says in verse 16, And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose. I'm going to suggest to you to underscore that in your Bible, to mark that handfuls of purpose for her. Leave them that she may glean them and rebuke her not what a beautiful beautiful verse one of my favorite verses The handfuls of purpose my friend what is the purpose that we have in this life what is the purpose of god's grace what is the purpose of god's providence in our life preparing that table and when uh, providing water when we are parched uh, I mean, promoting us protecting us pardoning us the things that god has done for people who were not a people but now are people for people who are a stranger to god you know, we 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 use the term "heathen" today, really and truly, to describe a delinquent. Okay, and uh, for some reason, we're seeing um, we're seeing an exorbitant amount of um, delinquent activities. I'll say that in our community as of late, more graffiti is being present, um, <clears throat> more crime. I don't know if you've seen it the past week, but uh, the helicopter has been out looking for subjects. I was up. Uh, 4, 30, 4 o'clock the other morning at 4.30, the K-9 Union was out at the Astra Petrol Station. Uh, we've had a couple drug busts just down the street. We've had a uh, call to arms in the armed police. Things have been happening in the past week in our community. It's not good, guys. It's not good. It's not, it's not showing progress in the, in the way that it should be. It's not positive either. And so we look and we understand the world that we live today, and we wonder why in the world, what is the purpose of our existence? What is the handfuls of purpose? Why are we here? Why, why God's grace? Do you know the word purpose occurs 36 times out of 35 verses in the Bible? Every single point, it is defined as plan or work other than right here in, in Ruth, other than right here in verse 16. These handfuls of purpose, as uh, God so eloquently and so uh, uh, inspirationally, if you will, and gives it to us by perfect preservation and purity this morning in verse 16. See, these handfuls of purpose are considered spoil to take or pray. Now, without running a tangent, guys, there is a reason, uh, there's a reason, beloved, the spoils of Christ are according to his plan, his work, his order, and may I say his purpose this morning. It was Solomon who exclaimed by, uh, by, by beauty, I would say, if you will, by beauty. Uh, Solomon said to everything, to every and there is a season and every time there is a purpose under heaven. Solomon goes on to say that because to every purpose there is a time and a judgment. So, beloved, we need to understand this morning within the gamut of eternity, our lives are but mere grains upon a shore of endlessness, if you will. But within our lifespan on earth, the Lord has given each and every single one of us a purpose intermingled within his plan to every single believer in the midst of every single season in our life, which will come under every judgment. So here's the question for you today, the question that we all must answer. Are you fulfilling your purpose? Are you fulfilling your purpose in life? Now, I can't help but when I speak on purpose and... And I talk about it. I can't help but revisiting the old glory days, you know. And I find that the older you get, you start to see things that you, that you did when you were younger, that there was a deeper purpose, if you know what I'm saying, a deeper purpose there that really makes more sense today than it even may have had, had then. And I go back to what I, I, I probably know uh, second best uh, outside of the, the Bible and preaching. The, uh, the second best is, is American football. I, that's what I did for 19 years of my life. So get ready for me to speak a foreign language to you today. And, and uh, if we were crazy charismaniacs we'd have somebody that can interpret it. Oh, I'm going to interpret it myself, okay? So I'm going to tell you a few alignments. I'm going to tell you some of my responsibilities that I would have had within this particular defense. But there's a reason why I'm telling you this. And I do believe at the end of the, the short little illustration, I think you can equate it into your own life. We ran what's called a 50 defense, a 50 regular. Within the 50 regular defense, the alignment number five, my responsibility if the ball was ran to me was what was called strong B gap. If it ran away from me, I had weak A gap. Why Why is it weak and strong? Strong side of linebacker is the guy that has more people on this side uh, of the offense. I'm not going to go through all of that. I do wish I had photos. It probably helped. But now I want to spend more time on this than we need to. So that's my responsibility. I have strong B gap. Ball comes to me. If it goes away, I got, I got a weak A gap. There's another play called a 50 Eagle Turn Mac, alignment number five. My responsibility, again, is the strong B gap. But what I do this time is I attack the B gap. I maintain B gap leverage. It, on a cover five, which is a man-to-man coverage, I'm locked in on the strong side running back. If he comes my way, wherever he goes, I go with him. I get in his, in his hip pocket, and I don't leave it no matter where he goes. I'll be honest with you, what I did nine times out of ten is I just ran as hard as I could toward him and took him out. I knocked him on the ground and then looked for where the ball went, okay? And you say, why did you do that? Just made it a little simple, and it kept me from having to run it running longer than I wanted to, amen? All right, so there's, a, there's also a play called a 50-load blaze in. It's alignment four. My responsibility is the strong A-gap. I attack the A-gap, maintain the A-gap leverage, and do not allow the running back to release through the line of scrimmage. Now, what does all that mean? The reality is this, guys. Even if I made a spectacular tackle, Let's say my responsibility was uh, the A-gap right here, and I am to to take care of that A-gap, and that running back runs through the D-gap. And I forsake my A-gap, and I run over there, and I take this guy's head off, and it's for a loss of yardage, and we turn the ball over, and and all great and wonderful, great and wonderful play for the highlight reel. Do you know what I score on that play? A zero. Why? Because I didn't take care of my initial purpose, and that was to maintain A-gap leverage or B-gap leverage. Does that make sense to you this morning? You see, you may do some great and wonderful things that work out to a positive end, but your end never justifies the means. We have a purpose in our life, and we have a purpose that is given by God's plan. And even though the plan may be met sometimes, say the saving of a soul, if your purpose was not, then you fail. So what's your purpose in life? Are you fulfilling your purpose, your job, your duty? I want to look this morning quickly today, and again, I'll watch my time, but we're going to first look at the Savior's purpose. The Savior's purpose. What is, what's the Lord's purpose today? I'm going to give you a little head start. Get over in the book of Luke with me real quick. What is his purpose as we find that And we're basing this on, on the thoughts of, of, of Ruth and how she came into the, as a stranger into a strange land and how she became so vitally important to us today as the bride of Christ, as a picture of us as the bride of Christ, Boaz being a picture of the Lord Jesus. Here's this stranger, guys, the beautiful part of this. This stranger from a pagan land ends up being in the lineage of Jesus Christ, man. My goodness, she's in the lineage of the greatest king that Israel ever had, King David. I mean, think about this for a second. Her son, Jesse, was the father of the greatest king who ever lived, David. And yet we sit back and we wonder, what purpose did she fulfill? I'm going to say she fulfilled a tremendous purpose today. But let's look at the Savior's purpose this morning first purpose we find for the Savior is that he provides deliverance. Look in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, and to to set at liberty them that are bruised. Now, I'll tell you, there's, there's quite a bit of misinterpretations on that verse right there. Some of it has resulted in tremendous, wonderful ministries. Is it a bad thing to provide food and clothing for those that are poor, those who are homeless? It's not a bad thing, is it? Not at all. It's a great thing. Is that what this verse means? No. It's not even the same page. It's not even the same map. Who in the world is the Lord Jesus? The Bible says in verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight of the blind to set liberty to them that are bruised. So if today the Spirit of the Lord was upon the Lord Jesus Christ for him to only reach if you take it physically, those that are poor, those that have heartache, those who uh, who can't see, uh, you know, those that are beaten up. That means those who are not beaten up, those who have perfect eyesight, those who are are wealthy or or comfortable, then they don't get the gospel. This is that just that's nonsense, isn't it? This is why dispensational teaching is important. To take this and run with it and start a soup kitchen. Is, in, is, is inappropriate doctrine. It is, good, it is a good ideology. It's a great principle because the poor do, do need to be reached. That's not who the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking about here. His, his purpose was to provide deliverance. And the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, because thou sayest I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou are wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked. He's speaking to our church age in Revelation 3.17, the Laodicean church age the age that we are living in right here right now because we think we have everything and we got it all and and we don't need anything because we got every technology known to man. We have the greatest medical system in the world, I would say. We have all the greatest health care. We have everything we have at our needs. And then the government steps in and says, listen, if you don't want to work, I'll give you a little bit of money. Here's some food. You just sit back and play your video games and you don't need to do anything at all. And everybody becomes comfortable with the governor being their God and technology being their saviour. And Jesus Christ sits back and says, hang on a second. You think you're rich and increasing goods and in need of nothing, but spiritually speaking, you are poor, blind, wretched, and miserable. Spiritually speaking, you are poor, you are brokenhearted, you are blind, and you are bruised. Beloved to a sinful, self-serving, self-indulging church age, Christ is speaking... Despite their money, despite their medicine, despite their mentality of righteousness today, our world is cold and it's hard in spirit and it is not serving nor worshiping God in spirit and truth the way he dictated us to do so. Christ brought deliverance to the lost, man. Deliverance to those who are held captive in sin and in darkness of this world. One of my favorite passages of Scripture in Romans chapter 6 and and verse 4 through 7, Paul says, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, he says, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ we are raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Verse 5 says, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Look at verse 7 again and read it. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Beloved, we need to walk in newness of life. When we baptize someone which is a public profession of one's salvation, Baptism by immersion and immersion only is the only biblical baptism that you will ever find, number one. Number two, baptism for believers and believers only is the only biblical baptism you'll ever find in the Holy Scripture. The only one. Confession unto salvation first and foremost. then baptism, you unify through obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, your public profession of salvation. Buried in likeness of his death, raised again into newness of life. You become a picture of the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, my friend, we need to walk in newness of life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What's the Savior's purpose? To provide deliverance, to provide all things new. And if any man, it says if, there's the conditional word. Beloved, the reality is this. If you're going to fulfill your purpose today, old ways should not see new days. If you're still acting, talking, walking, living, thinking the same way you did prior to you being saved and born again, prior to that day when you came under the Holy Spirit conviction of your sins and the need of a Savior, if you're still living and walking and talking identically the way you were over here, there's a problem because you haven't died to sin or self or the seduction of this life, and by that way you are now not free for he that is dead... Is freed from sin it doesn't make you going to, it doesn't mean that you're going to be reach sinless perfection, but no matter how you slice it, dice it, chop it, or chew it, my friend, you cannot justify the old man in the midst of a new creature you can't do it fault or foolishness christ's purpose was to bring deliverance from sin by way of salvation there is no other way outside of being delivered from the sin of this world. the old man is to be crucified, therefore we need to stop picking him up and carrying around a corpse in our life a dead rotten carcass around with us because you know why it stinks guys it stinks so the first part of the Savior's purpose he came to provide deliverance I'm thankful for eternal security I'm thankful to being born again amen I'm thankful for when I have bad thoughts and I have especially on the road but when I have bad thoughts (laughs) I don't lose my salvation I thank God for that I thank God for that every day a lot of times But he came to deliver me from not only eternal damnation, but he came to deliver me from the power of sin in this world. Number two, we find, look in John chapter 10, give you a little head start there, turn over there quickly. We're going to wind down and finish this first point here this morning and pick up next week where we left off. John chapter 10, we're going to find that not only did Jesus Christ provide his purpose, not only to provide deliverance this morning, but he came to permeate death as well. Look there in, verse, in chapter 10. Look in verse 9 with me. Verse 9. Jesus Christ says here, I am the door. By me, by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Watch this comparison. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. He says, I, here's a contrast. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. You know what the opposite of death is? It's life. Very simple equation. There is nothing deep about this. Beloved, the Christian life in this world, in this life. Guys, I understand. Hey, I'm looking forward to eternity. Cannot wait. Looking forward to it. But Jesus Christ did not just come. Just, just solely to deliver us from sin, but he came also to permeate death. He came also, guys, to give us a life in this world that is more abundant. Uh, the Christian life is a beautiful life, my friend. I mean, it, it's a life that should not be taken for granted. You know, it can be an enjoyable life, a life full of joy. That's what enjoyable means. Amen. Amen doesn't mean it's going to be happy all the time, but you can have joy in your life today without having happiness. Happiness is a result of what happens in your life. You're being controlled by your your surroundings, by what is going on around you. But joy is a result of what has happened within you. The transformation, uh, the Holy Spirit of God coming in and, and bringing that new man inside and crucifying that old man. Christ took death away by giving life. He didn't just eliminate the death. He gave life and life more abundantly. John chapter 3 and verse 7 uh, tells us, ye must be born again. Remember the conversation in John 3 that Christ had with Nicodemus? And the Lord said, "You must be born again. Nicodemus says, how can I enter into uh, my mother's womb a second time? It, it didn't make sense to him. He didn't understand. What do you mean being born again? Because he was thinking in the carnal and solely the carnacle. He says, lest you be born of water and of spirit. Your water birth. Is your physical birth. The water breaks. That's simple. It's got nothing to do with baptism. Baptismal regeneration is heresy. Has nothing to do with the works or acts that you do. Being born of water is your physical birth. And then he says, being born of the Spirit, that's your eternal security. That's being born again. A new life, a new love, a new way of living. Simple fact alone, guys, is, is enough to be excited about. Before we go into this last sub-point and be done for the morning, I'm going to ask you this question today. When is the last time? When is the last time? No music. No funky uh, sounds and lights and smoke and hollering and hooping. When is the last time you got excited for what Christ has done for you in your life? Last time. When's the last time that you looked at what life Christ has given you here and what he's going to give you over there, and, man, you just wanted to jump for joy? Man, it just made you smile. It just, there was this feeling bubbling up inside of you of excitement. That's called joy, my friend. When's the last time you felt that inside of yourself? You say, Preacher, I've never felt that before. There's a problem there. I know some people say, well, you know, you just, you know, you 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 like being too loud, too happy, too this, too that. I get that. I'm gonna tell you something. There's something that happens within a person, within a man, woman, or child. When the Holy Spirit of God moves in, that's different than anything else that ever happens in this world. There's a change. Now you can be someone who is we call it a stick in the mud, sourpuss, whatever you want to call it. That, you, if you want to be that in life, go ahead, okay? That, that's, that's your prerogative if, you want to, if that's the way you want to live your life. But man, you are missing something. The enjoyment of eternal salvation. The enjoyment of Christ living in you and through you. He has taken away something that we were born to have. We are born to die. And he has removed death from our life by giving us life. He didn't just take death away, but he gave you life, life eternal. But between that point of salvation and that point of when you go into eternity, he's given you a life to live down here, man. He's given you a life to live with purpose, and it should be exciting to you. It should be something that that just makes you want to jump for joy, whether you can or not. It should make you joyful. I, I You know, guys, I, I, I've, I've tried not to judge myself. I'm a biblicist. I'm going to believe what the Bible says, whether I even agree with it or, or whether, whether I feel it. I don't base my salvations on feelings. If you base your salvation on feelings, number one, you're sadly wrong. And number two, you're living a roller coaster life up and down. And you're probably on some type of medication for it. Okay? I know that's a harsh statement to make but I'm making a straight-up call. Roller coaster life is what you're living if you're basing your salvation on eternal life. There's some mornings, guys, when I wake up in the morning, I don't even want to get out of bed. And I kick my legs off the bed, and I sit up, and everything hurts. Everything. And I stand up, and it it hurts worse. And I shuffle myself to the to the bathroom, wash my face, brush my teeth, get dressed, go downstairs. And I'm telling you, for the first 10 minutes of the morning, typically, I'm like, man, why am I even up right now? What if I base my whole day on how I felt then? Because it only takes me about 10, 15 minutes, and that energy starts popping in. I get a little excited. I do my scripture writing, my prayers are already done. And before you know it, about 15 minutes after I rolled out of that bed, 15 minutes after that. After that alarm clock went off, man, I'm 100 miles an hour, feeling good. But what if I based the entire day on how I felt at four o'clock in the morning? would be miserable, wouldn't I? What if you based your eternal life on your lowest day? My goodness, man. You know what that's called? It's called depression, it's called darkness. It'll lead to disparity is what it'll lead to. Our Lord came to permeate death. He took away death by giving us life. He said you must be born again. Lastly this morning, I want you to turn to John 18 and then we'll be done. John 18. Look down with me toward the latter part of the chapter. Our Lord and Savior came to propagate devotion. John 18, verse 37, the Bible says, Pilate therefore said unto him, art thou the king then? Jesus answered, thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Beloved, this is the truth. Jesus said, I am the Way the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. His purpose was to be a witness of the truth. His purpose was to come and give us a life that we could not earn ourselves, that we could not obtain ourselves. His purpose, guys, was to come into this world, provide deliverance, permeate death, but propagate devotion unto Himself. And today, if you're asking yourself that question. Where am I? Who am I? Am I fulfilling my purpose? You're going to have to ask yourself, have you been delivered by the Holy Spirit of God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? I didn't ask you if you performed a one, two, three, repeat after me. I didn't ask you if you went to a confirmation class. I didn't ask you if somebody told you you are going to heaven. I didn't ask you that you have denied yourself. I didn't ask you that because not one of those things are going to save your soul. The only thing that saves today is the truth. The belief in who the truth is, the Lord Jesus Christ, that thou shalt confess with thy mouth, means agree with the Lord Jesus. If you can't get past those first few words of Romans chapter 10, verse 9, there is no salvation on the back end. Jesus Christ must be God. He must be Lord. And believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. That's what it is. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15. He tells us clearly that what the gospel is by definition. My gospel, he says, which is the death burial, and resurrection of Christ according to the scriptures. That is what it is. Nothing more, nothing less. There's not a work that you can do or can be done for you. So my friend, if you're here this morning and you say, preacher, I just don't get it. I don't see, I don't find my purpose in this living. I don't find this purpose that you're talking about. Then maybe today you need to get a hold of the Savior's purpose first, which was to provide deliverance, to permeate death, and then propagate devotion in your heart and your life for him. And it's a very simple thing. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a very simple thing. It is the devil himself today who confuses us in the simplicity of the gospel. Paul said that in 2 Corinthians eleven three. 3. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. So your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. The simplicity for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. The gift of God is eternal life through Christ, through Jesus Christ. My friend, I want to tell you, a gift is always free. If a gift is not a good deal, it's always free for you. It costs someone else something, but it's free for you. So this morning, I'm asking you to search your heart. See if you're fulfilling your purpose that God has given you in this world today. And it's going to start by salvation, my friend. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, we thank you for who and what you are, for all that you've done, for many wonderful blessings you've given us in our life. We ask of you now to please bear witness upon our souls. I pray there be anyone with an earshot this morning who knows you not as Lord and Savior. Father, I pray this be the last moment, the last time in their life, in this world today, that they would not be completely assured unto eternal life by trusting, by placing their faith on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I ask you this this morning for those who are listening, those who are here this morning, those who are watching. As someone, Lord, if they do know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that they would search their hearts, not according to my words, but according to thy words, as to whether or not they are fulfilling the purpose that you have given them in this world today. This we ask, Lord, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. I do hope and pray the sermon you just heard was a tender blessing to your heart and to your soul. I hope that it gives you the encouragement and edification to face the challenges that we see each and every day and week throughout our life. I'd like to invite you out to one of our live services here at Saren Chapel in Aberammon. We are located on Lewis Street as well as Davis Street. Davis Street is the entrance to our chapel and as well as Lewis Street is the entrance to our hall, and you can use either one of them. But secondly today, guys, I would like to share just a brief message to you now to ask you to where you are going in eternity. If today was the last day you were alive, if today, by some tragedy, this was the last moment you had on this earth, when you closed your eyes, would you wake up and see Jesus Christ? It is a simple question, guys, and it is even a more simple answer. The Bible tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, paid the ultimate price for mankind. He gave us the free pass to eternal life by giving his life on the cross of Calvary, being buried into that grave, but rising again on the third day. It is simple as this. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, guys, while we were sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ loves us so much that he gave his life. As a matter of fact, Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sin is defined as the transgression of God's law. But what happened was the payment for mankind is death. Romans 6.23 clearly tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So I ask you today, what what would stop you right here, right now, from bowing your head and saying a prayer much like this, Lord Jesus Christ, I trust in you. Jesus Christ, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that you stepped up out of the grave to give us victory over sin and victory over death. I invite you into my heart and ask forgiveness of my sins and ask you to lead God and direct me throughout the rest of my life. Now, here's the thing. You say that prayer in your own words, but you have to say it and believe it. Remember, Romans ten nine says, And believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is a promise from the Word of God. That is a promise from God Himself. That is the promise from the Creator of all things, that if you'll believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, ask forgiveness of your sins, accept His free gift and pardon of sin into your heart today, that you will be born again, that you will have eternal life in heaven. Guys, I hope and pray this is a blessing to you today. I hope and pray that you'd make that decision. And if you have, if you've made that decision today, let us rejoice with you. Come by and see us here at the church or hit us up online at any of the social media outlets or through email or however you can. Just share with us the glorious transformation that you just received in your life. Guys, I hope to see you soon in the house of God. Hope to see you soon right here in Sharon Chapel. And may the Lord be with each and every one of you. God bless.